God is good. I get an amen. I love that. Whoo! Man, that song gets my blood pumping. I don't know what it is. I just love it. I got that, got that folky, vibey, awesome, and then it just the words are fantastic. Hey, well, a little bit of sad news, but a little bit of good news. Uh, we, are, we are closing and going to start a new series this next week. So we're closing out our section in John today, which means that we're going to take a break uh, for a little while. We're going to end in chapter 14, which means we have just a few more chapters to go, and we will at some point pick it back up. And for some of you, I know that's sad. You're like, oh, man, why can't we just finish what we start? I get it, okay? But for some of you, uh, you're ready for a change, and I get that, so that's next week. And for some of us, like myself, there's a little bit of sadness, but there's also some freshness that'll come next week. I encourage you to come back next week or to listen in online because we're going to start a series called Back to the Basics next week, and I don't want you to miss it. I, I really don't. I, I know for myself, it's been something I put a lot of prayer into. It's been something I put a lot of thought into. I'm really trying to let the Holy Spirit kind of open up to like, what is the bare basics? What do we need to go back to? Uh, for a lot of us, the last month, six months, year has stripped away a lot of the things that we clung to. And so we're trying to build our lives back a little bit, cling to the things that are most important. So what are the basics? What are the things that are we're supposed to be clinging to? And I'm hoping that it will be encouraging, uplifting, and instructive as it, as it will be to me over the next few weeks. Before we get there, I want to close out a section in John chapter 14. Now, as John Coward did an amazing job last week kind of setting this section up, this is, if you go to your Bible, a physical one, and you actually look at it, it's almost completely red letters for like four or five chapters. It's just crazy how much John just records Jesus' words, and you can tell he is clinging to them in a very intimate way. And the recorder of John, you know, he, he, he just has this, you can tell this intensity of like trying to remember everything that Jesus has said, and he's trying to remember it in detail. And then he records it for us. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've um, had uh, the opportunity to be around somebody and they know that their time is short. The conversations get real don't they? They get incredibly intense. They get incredibly focused. They want to make sure that you know. They want to make sure that you are comforted. They want to make sure you're going to be okay. They want to make sure that you know you get the point across. Now, the point sometimes isn't always the best thing. I know of myself, I've had some conversations with some people in some intense times, uh, mainly as a parent, not necessarily the end of our life, but like in the morning before you have to split and you're not going to see each other, now you make eye contact with your spouse and you're like, what's the game plan? You know that moment? Or maybe for us, it's all, normally it's Sunday nights, we get the game plan for the week, which I immediately forget in the next 10 minutes, but we try to at least have the conversation for the week. And you try to get all the plans out, laid out. And I know for, for a lot of us, that can be work, could be family, uh, could be a specific event, details. But this is just before the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the week before. And why we have all these red letters and why John records it is because this is the time that Jesus seems to just get their, the, the apostles, his disciples, focus in just an incredibly powerful and intentional way. And you can tell John is leaning in. So I encourage you today, 
lean in. I encourage you to, to listen to the words of Jesus as it's recorded in John and to let it be something that soaks in, breathes life into you. I think today's message will be encouraging to you and helpful. Let's start in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Let's just start there. And I want to start at the end of this section, this small pieces of scripture with a question. So here's what it says at the beginning of John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Ooh, I feel like we just sang that. You believe in God, but also believe in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If we're not so, I would not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Ooh, okay, good point. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, pause. Can you feel this kind of like moment where they're going to part? Can you see it? He's setting it up. He's like, hey, I'm going somewhere. It's okay. There's room for you. Uh, and I'm not going to leave you for long. Katrina laid down for a nap yesterday, you guys. I'll just tell you. She laid down for a nap. She doesn't get many of them. Try to give her a grace. All right? We have a rule. When another person naps, another person stays awake in our house, especially an adult, because it lets the other person actually sleep and not be interrupted 45,000 times by the three little children that we've created. I looked at my oldest son and my middle son and my youngest son, and I said, I need to run to the gas station. Can you not bug your mom for two minutes while I leave to go to the gas station. What do you think happened? I came back, and my youngest, or my middle son, I should say, came to me, and he went, I asked mom where you went. <laughs> I was like, son, you blew my cover. I wasn't supposed to leave the house. <laughs> I told you I would be right back. I told you it would be two Minutes. I, I told you where I was going. You know the Casey's. You know where I'm going. You, you know the trip. You've been on the trip. You know how far it is. You know how long it'll take. And yet they had trouble waiting. I want you to hear that before you hear Thomas's question next. They don't know where Jesus is going. They've heard about it. They know it's far off. They've never seen it. They hear it's lots of rooms. They hear it's going to be a good place. It's going to be a renewal of some things. They hear it's a kingdom. But then you get Thomas's question in verse 5, and it makes a lot more sense. It's like my six-year-old. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how will we know the way? Right? Does that make sense? You're like, oh, that's it. That's right. All the confidence that they've had, all the experiences they've had with Jesus. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the grave. He has healed tons. He has loved on the masses. He has laid himself out. He has washed their feet. He has proven himself to be faithful and worthy. But in the same moment, Thomas is like, hey, yeah, that's cool. But like, where is it? Like, you got a GPS coordinate? I don't, I don't remember getting that instruction. I'll tell you than anything. What do we do when we don't know the way? What do we do when we, when we don't know the way? Well, when things are ripped out, when the path becomes unclear, when we look around and, and the things that kind of helped us, the mile markers before are stripped away and, and things kind of become a little bit more unknown, what do we do? How do we respond? And Tom, that's basically what Thomas is saying. Like, hey, uh, God, what do we do? 
We don't know the way. How do, how do we get there? I'm going to give you three quick responses to this question from the Bible itself. Uh, one from the oldest written Bible, not chronologically, that'd be Genesis, but oldest written document, which is the, from the book of Job, which is interesting that Job came and was written probably before Genesis. And Genesis, you know, of course, has, has the promise in chronological, but the question in Job is really, can God be trusted? Because Job's story is a, is a story of tribulation and trial and, and the unknown path of what, what is going on when pain and suffering hits me. Can God be trusted? Here's Job 30. Verses 20 through 22. This is what Job's response is when he doesn't know the way. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with might on your, uh, uh, of your hand. You attack me. You snatch me up and drive me out before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. Man, you feel that intensity? I don't know what's going on, God. This is what it feels like. I don't know what to do, God. This is what it feels like. And if you think that's just like, oh, Job, get your act together, then you haven't read David. David in Psalm 57 says this. This is David's response. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, for, it's, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to you, God, most high, to God, who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those hostile who pursue me. God sends forth his love and in his faithfulness. I am in the midst of the lions. I am forced to dwell among the ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be about the earth. You feel the intensity now? This is... David in a cave, running from Saul, the known king, and he's basically been ostracized from his entire family. He's been put on the run. He has no one to go to, no hope for a future. He doesn't know the way. And he cries out in pain, hoping, hoping. Let's do a New Testament one, and I find it curious that we get, we get the fullness of Thomas's answer in the New Testament, which I absolutely love. And if you've never thought about this, this may be, then how do we know where you're going to go? We're going to read Jesus's answer in just a few minutes, but I want to give you the final answer of what Jesus does to reveal it. Thomas gets his answer in 20, uh, chapter 20 of John, and this is what it says. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which... This is cool. This is Greek, which is twin. So he's a twin, which is really, really cool. One of the 12. Now, this is after Jesus has come back from the grave. That's a key, key component to this. Was not with the disciples when Jesus, when Jesus came. He'd already appealed to the other disciples. So the disciples came and told him, we have seen the Lord. And what is Thomas's answer? You remember? He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out. Put your, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting. Thomas said, my Lord, 
my God. I find it curious that this question of what do we do when we don't know the way, it creeps in, doesn't it? It creeps in. Whether we're Job in the very thralls of this incredible tragedy, whether we're David in the midst of this journey to an anointed kingship, to being a part of something, a, a, a country of Israel, a nation of Israel that we lifted up and doesn't know in the midst of it, or whether we're Thomas in the very presence of Jesus himself, we still ask this question. Why is that? Why does that question sit there? I want to give you confidence to tell you that the Old and the New Testament have confidence in the way of Jesus in different ways. Those before trusted in the future work of Jesus in the Old Testament, those before, but those after trusted in the finished work of Jesus. Now, this is an important concept for you because how does Jesus, we, we know that Jesus covers all our sins of our whole life, but a lot of us don't think of it this way. When Abraham in Genesis chapter 11 says his faith was counted to him as righteousness, this is him looking at God's future work, looking towards Jesus and trusting in the future work of Jesus, putting his future hope in what God is going to do. And then in the same way, we are looking back at the finished work of Jesus, and we're saying we trust in what Jesus has already done. That is the way they interpret the way, the way forward. And you can hear this because the next verse, verse 6, after Thomas's question, how do we know the way, is that gateway. Both the Old Testament gateway... And the new. It's why Jesus can claim this in verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, whether looking this way towards God's future faithfulness or looking back like we do. He is the way. If you really know me, you will know my Father. See him making the connection, pulling everything together. One plan. From now, from now on, you do not know him and have seen him. You do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and then we will, we will be enough for us. He said, give us the burning bush of Moses. Right? Give us the mountaintop experience. And it, Jesus is like, okay, they were looking for They were trusting and hoping. I'm giving you like... They're here, you guys. They're here. They're not here. They're not here. They're like in the moment. Like I would love for have Philip's answer. Like after Jesus comes back, he's like, he's like, okay, I get it now. I get it now. Don't you know, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say show us the Father? You see, they're still looking ahead. Jesus is saying, I'm right here with you. I'm the way. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. At least believe on the evidence of the works themselves doesn't everything i've been doing line up with what god's been all about in the beginning so here's the thought process what do we do when we don't know the way jesus provides 
finished work, and future hope. Jesus provides future hope and finished work. That's incredibly encouraging. In fact, that's incredibly helpful for me to know that. But it doesn't end there. That's the brilliance of this passage. That's what John, I know, is recording. Because at this point, he's like, okay, I'm starting to get it. Abraham trusted you now, and and we're going to trust you as if you were here because that's the finished work of Jesus. And you know the conclusion of, of John's gospel is going to say, with all this evidence, with all the things you've recorded, place your faith in Jesus. You can trust his finished work and his future hope. That's amazing. But Jesus doesn't end there. He says this in the very next verse, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, pause. I know some of us are not 10 years old anymore, but we still keep that 10-year-old brain. And I can prove it to you. You ready? When you hear this, I will do anything for you in my name. What comes to your mind first? I know for me, I wish it was unselfish thoughts. I I wish it was world peace, right? I, I wish it was overarching thoughts. But my immediate thoughts uh, are, are more like superpowers, if I can be completely honest. They're more selfish gains. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a way I look. Maybe it's something that I could change in the people's decisions in my immediate area. Like if I could just wish the stupid away in the person across from me. Have you ever had that? Just find the stupid in another person and just be like, it's just, there we go. Now you're better. Good luck. I wish that's what it was, but this is, this is not superpowers. Let's be clear. This is not superpowers. This is supernatural expressions of the Father's heart. Jesus was the fullness of God. This is the fullness of who God was. He was a supernatural expression. He was a deity expression of who God was. Full man, full God, fully focused, purpose-filled, and love-filled. Incredible. This is a promise to continue that. This is a promise to say this will go even further. And so I would say this, love's expression grows in Jesus' disciples. Love's expression grows in Jesus' disciples. He's saying, look, you're now, not only do you get to look and see the finished work that Jesus has done, and not only now do you keep, get to go, keep going, knowing and having that promise for future hope, but now the expression that God is doing in Jesus is going to grow in his disciples. It's going to grow in his body. It's going to become greater. The very next verse, and it'll be the last verse we study, I think will help you see this. John 14, 15 says this, If you love me, Keep my commands. Now, 
when you see that, you, I know myself, because I grew up in the church, I see the Ten Commandments and all 700 or whatever the other commandments. I see the law when I read that. But if you were Jesus' disciple and you were one of the 12, you're not seeing all those commands anymore because you've been trained for the last three years. You've been, this has been beat into your head in the most incredible way through miracles and expressions of the Good Samaritan and parables and teachings. This has been the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery. This has been brilliantly displayed by taking the outcasts and bringing them in. This has been shown to you over and over again that his command is love God and love others. That's his command. Love God and love others. That's his command. And if you love him, you will keep that command. And I know this is going to be just overly simplified for you, but I could not end anywhere else. When I'm studying John, you guys, it is so difficult to get away from the themes of life, love, and faith. Light, love, and faith. The truth that who Jesus is, the love that Jesus offers, and the faith that it takes to trust those two things. It is incredibly overwhelming. So what do we do when we don't know the way? What do we do? We trust the way of Jesus. We trust the way of Jesus. We believe in his victory. We believe in his victory. We don't have to win right now to win. We're winners. That's huge. Walk in his finished work. It is done. It is paid for. The amount of people I talk to right now that feel like they're missing something, that, that they're not enough, that what they've done, that they've disqualified themselves, that they've fallen short. I'm like, absolutely. That's why you don't look at that. You look at the cross, which is enough for you. And then you put your future hope and trust in your future hope of Jesus. You put your trust in his future hope and what he's promising you. What he's saying will come. And I know you and I are like Thomas. We're like, but where's that? When's that coming? Like, where, where do we go? How do we get there? I'm like, I know. It's hard. It's not easy. I, I wish I could tell you that Jesus is going to show up and we could put our hands through his hands. That we could put our hand in his side. But just as Jesus says to, to Thomas, that blessed are those that believe that do not see. So out of all this, that last section, 12 through 14, chapter 14 of John, when he says we'll do even greater things, did that not just stick out to you? It stuck out to me. Because the truth is, love will grow greater if we're doing these things. If you trust that Jesus is the way, if you believe in his victory, if you are walking in his finished work and trusting in his future hope, the love of God will go greater. One of the commentators that I read, read it like this. Jesus influenced hundreds, if not thousands, in his ministry. But oh, how the body of Christ has loved and attempted to save the world through him. 
We read that and we put superhuman powers on it. I'm not saying that we can't move the miraculous. I'm not saying that the miraculous can't happen. But don't miss the point that Jesus, just like Jesus said, is it easier for to make a man walk or is it easier to save his soul? I wonder if Jesus is not saying, you will do greater things because I am going to the Father. My finished work will allow you to love like never before. Greater, bigger, and it will continue to grow no matter the pandemic, no matter the politics, no matter the personal struggles, no matter how difficult or down we can get. I am telling you the promise of Jesus in this passage is that through him and his finished work and the provided future hope, Belief in him gives access to greater love, greater love to be found in him and greater love to be given to the world. And John's simple message is believe. Believe that his victory is enough. Trust in that victory. Walk in his finished work. Put your hope in his future. The next section, which we didn't get to get to, I just want to make sure that you know, is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And you can see how this would line up with that, right? That Jesus would leave and then provide this unit. And I always love describing this is the Holy Spirit, right? That's why we call it the triune God. It's always a good thing to, to, to have that in your mind, right? But see this bottom little piece down here? <laughs> where we're connected through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to the Father. It's always the way I was taught it. Theologically, it's sometimes it's easier. Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, connected. All three. You work through him. He gives you all wisdom and trust and knowledge. He, he, he gives you things that you didn't know you needed. Jesus says he'll be a great comfort to you as you learn to express greater love. Do greater things. As we approach the school year and the end of the year, and as we walk through our Facebook feeds, our Walmart aisles, our daily routines, as we interact with people that are so far from what we believe and have a little bit too much stupid sometimes in them to make them tolerable, I want you to know this. Look at me. Jesus once hung out with 12 guys for three years that didn't really know who he was. That's a whole lot of stupid. And he still loved them all the way to a cross. We need to learn to love greater. We need to trust in him. We can do that. It's what John is calling us to. It's what Jesus is calling us to. Love will grow greater.